This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Today I've got coming up Ben Willick. He's a hunter and there's a few things we're going to talk about today uh, on the show which we haven't really discussed before. I don't think at all on the show. Uh, Some things like um, pack hunting, what we're going to need for pack hunting, what types of equipment, good equipment to keep you warm during winter uh, and what's going to keep that weight down in the pack. Of course, we're going to talk about general hunting as well, guns, firearms. Uh, guns and firearms are the same thing, so <laughs> that was a bit of a screw-up. But, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about everything, just hunting, shooting in general, you know, bucket list species, hunts. We're going to have a few stories as well. Uh, it's going to be absolutely fantastic as well. I know um, Ben's had a few injuries as well, so that's something we haven't really discussed on the show at all before as well. How do you come back from injuries, knee injuries, back injuries, uh, those types of things and uh, what's the best way to recover so you can actually get back out in the hills and do what you love and we all love best which is hunting shooting fishing you know camping four-wheel driving whatever it may be obviously your main goal is to get past those injuries and get back out in the field to do some hunting Uh, so it's going to be a great show today of course as usual i always have to thank my patreon supporters they're the best. I love you guys. You keep the show going, so I do really appreciate it. Thank you to the several people this week uh, that have actually come on as Patreon supporters. Uh, I really appreciate it. One is Mick. I'm not going to say his last name, but thank you, Mick, for welcome. Uh, Cameron again. Thank you, Cameron, uh, as well. And Andrew, some new Patreon supporters that support me here on the show. Uh, I really do appreciate you guys. It's building up on the Patreon. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Like I keep saying, people always say, oh, you don't do enough shows. Yeah, I know I don't do enough shows, guys. It's one a fortnight. Unfortunately, I work full-time, and I do want to go hunting myself. I dabble in a bit of filmography on the YouTube channel as well. And just, you know, I like doing that sort of stuff. I love it. So I love doing as much as you guys. So if I could do it full-time, I would, but I just don't earn enough to do it full-time, guys. I've got a full-time job that I need to take care of. And I always say to guys, I get, like, a lot of downloads on this show. If I just had 20 cents for every person that downloaded the show, I could easily do this full-time and probably do around maybe three shows a week week would probably be reasonable i think so it would go from one a fortnight to probably six a fortnight but yeah i just don't have the thing to do that so sorry guys one a fortnight at this stage uh so i can only do what i can do but thanks everyone that supports me on patreon you guys are the best i just i can't say enough more about that if you do want to join up on patreon you do like what we do you do like the show patreon.com forward slash ahp i'd really really appreciate it. you'll get all the shows in advance everyone else we do do the odd um giveaway as well so, yeah, but stay tuned for that. But it's basically, it's just supporting the show to continue it going. And you guys, and I've got a lot of people that have been on Patreon for a long time and years, and you guys are fantastic. Again, couldn't do it without you. So thank you very much. Of course, as usual, you can go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Email me at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm working through a lot of emails now back to people. So sorry if I take a little bit of time, guys. I do get a lot of questions from Instagram, Facebook, uh, the email, and it does take quite a lot of time. But I do try and help people um you get you get the odd stupid message and they just get deleted so you won't be getting a response if it's a stupid message um yeah i just got to say that up front but all the good messages you will get a response to so i really appreciate that of course you can find us on Castbox, spotify stitcher you can listen to the show on the website apple podcast you can download it from itunes obviously if you have an account which is where a lot of people do download the show from uh just type in australian hunting podcast on google and you'll find 
you, you'll find us somewhere on the internet, that's for sure. And one of the most important parts too, a lot of people do like that it's uploaded to YouTube as well. So you can go to the Australian Hunting Podcast YouTube channel, or you can go to my normal hunting channel, AHP Outdoors, which is two words. Uh, did make a state forest hunt video a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we didn't get anything, but we had a great time. And uh, I really like, put something really nice together. And I really enjoyed making that video. Uh, I do enjoy making all the hunting videos. It's definitely something that's uh, a bit of a passion building for me uh, in that sort of arena of that filmography arena and making videos so i hope you guys enjoyed that but uh, i think ben's gonna be waiting for me so he doesn't want me crapping on for five or ten minutes so we should get into the show so without further ado let's get into my show with hunter ben willick ben welcome to the show mate thanks for joining me uh really appreciate it yeah cheers mate um yeah good to be on no worries first off i guess uh tell us about yourself where you're from what do you do you know how did you get into hunting just yeah all of the above really yeah it'd be great yeah, well, um, in my mid-30s, um, Mrs. and two girls, young ones, um, I was born in the Northern Territory and grew up in sort of early part of my life up there, and then um, parents separated and moved down to Mansfield, where my mother's side of the family's from, um, Mansfield being here, Samba, heart of Samba country in Victoria, pretty well known about. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, as, as a day job, I'm a architect building designer, project manager type arrangement. Um, also do a bit of or help out a bit on the on the farm with the family, uh, running cattle for the meat market and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's sort of that sort of things there. Um, yeah, spent a lot of my teenage years, oh, yeah, snowboarding and travelling around the world doing a lot of snowboarding, um, which is – yeah, it sort of crossed over into a fair bit of the backcountry sort of stuff. Yeah, this that is I do probably going to get into injuries. I'm guessing that's where some of the injuries happen, snowboarding. <laughs> yes, certainly. Um, I think I'm, I'm up to 13 broken bones at the moment. So it's uh, taken its toll on me. And, yeah, all those old fellas back in the day that said, mm, it's going to catch up with you in your old age, it, um, it's certainly come to bite me in the ass. <laughs> what about the Northern Territory? I mean, were you hunting up there, sort of growing up? I mean, what was the, if you were, what was that like? Or where were you Where were you based in Northern Territory? What's it like living there? I've never been there, so I wouldn't yeah. mind finding out more about that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, to be honest. Um, yeah, parents sort of separated. Oh, I was pretty young, um, but we used to go back up and spend our school holidays with Dad up in, yeah, past um, Tennant Creek, sort of north of there, which is sort of getting up, up there into the crocodile country. But, um, yeah, me and my siblings would go up there and Dad would be working for the whole time and um, we used to just go walk about and get up to all kinds of mischief, especially me and my brother. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we had a couple of cousins up there that were a lot older, um, which would have been sort of the original start to or introduction to um, hunting and, and rifles and that sort of thing because we used to head out with them and um, – go chase wild dogs around and um yeah hang out with a professional roost shooter and all that sort of stuff so yeah it was it was interesting um used to go on some pretty massive adventures um with my brother solo to the point where we'd get lost and aboriginal trackers would have to come and find us and things like that so <laughs> yeah, right. a, few a few stories back from from those days um, oh, yeah but, yeah with your family were they sort of i mean obviously cousins you were just mentioning but uh was it like, was your dad into hunting? Was any of your family members into hunting at the time? No, or is more no, it was a cousin not, perspective? Yeah, cousins only, really. Um, the, my dad, oh, 
yeah, my real dad up in the Northern Territory, he was um pretty prolific in the sort of cattle industry up there. And then back in Mansfield here, uh, my mother's side of the family were um, up in the high country logging and my grandfather was a um, – he, he dozed a lot of the tracks that we go into sort of one and gather and all that sort of stuff on. But none of them were really into hunting at all. So um, it came about, yeah, because of cousins to start with. Um, and then I guess growing up in Mansfield as well, we got friends and things like that, just shooting foxes and rabbits and and the rest of it, that's sort of how it come about there. Um, but, yeah, I guess how I actually got into sort of samba hunting and, and more so up in the high country was um, my stepfather. He's um, one of the original sort of high country cattlemen. He runs or has the lease sort of up around Craig's Hut and the man from Snowy River sort of type country. And, um, yeah, we were up, up around those parts, mustering cattle out of there and um, – you know, a couple of a couple of mustering sessions there. We didn't get a few of the cattle back down before the snow hits, and um, the old man sent me out to um try and find these rogue cattle that were lost in the bush and things like that. So he'd send me up there by myself with a couple of cattle dogs, and I used to crunch through the bush looking for these cattle. And yeah, they well, yeah. The first the first encounter I ever had with with a deer was. Yeah, looking looking for cattle up there, um, and it was foggy as anything. Coming around the corner, and these this one cattle that was up there, well, this one steer that was up there, had invaded sort of a, for a couple of years, so it sort of had half turned into a into a bull. So it was pretty pretty <laughs> wild. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, coming around the corner with the dogs, and the dogs were getting a bit skittish, and I thought, oh, it's got this has got to be it, and. Um, the old man said to me, oh, get a rifle and if you see it, just shoot it because he'd had enough to deal with it. And, no, um, no complaints about that if you've got access to deer. But <laughs> I was going to ask you a question, speaking about that, a little bit like we'll speak about Mansfield and stuff. What's it like living in Mansfield? I mean, any good? Is there great hunting opportunities? Do you spend more time, you know, sort of on the public land or the private land? Or uh, Yeah, I mean, Mansfield, Mansfield's fantastic for, for that. Um, you know, I can step out more. Yeah, I'm looking at a hill out my window now and quite often I see Samba walking across the, the hill and I'm only sort of five Ks out of Mansfield, so it's pretty cool. Um a lot of fellow and, and Samba around. But um yeah, I've got quite a few private properties around the place that are pretty big that are um full of Samba and fellow, so I can you know, literally after work, uh, within fifteen minutes I'm sort of out staring at Sambrill Fellow. Um, and then, yeah, within half an hour driving Mansfield, I can be in public land and, um, yeah, there's, there's that many deer around this place. It's, um, they're not far, hard to find. Oh, well, yeah, it looks like everyone's moving to Mansfield then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's popular and I guess that's why, yeah, with the, on the architect. Architect side of things, it's um, Mansfield booming. It's um, it's pretty crazy here at the moment, building wise. What's the what's the pop? You know, av- average or roughly the pop? What's the population of Mansfield? Is it sort of a, a busy town or? Yeah, it's 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 growing. Um, I think it was rated as oh, it was up there in number one or number two in regional Victoria this year for for um population growth. And I think, oh, don't quote me on this, but I think it's about. Fifteen thousand permanent, but it can swell to two hundred thousand on a weekend with um the snow traffic, and it's pretty popular for fall driving, hunting, fishing, all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, 
lot of um, weekend sort of stuff. It's probably gone more than this, but they reckon 2016, that was five years ago, they reckon 4,787, so maybe that's a little bit higher nah. now. That's what the nah, yeah, bloody that's... Google, blame Google, don't blame me, blame Google. <laughs> no, well, I reckon back at that same time, I would have said 8,000 on the sign coming into Mansfield, so that's a lot. Yeah, I know. Goddamn Google. Yeah. Yeah, but what about a bit of a curveball? What do you, yeah, you said you, yeah. You know, partner, a couple of, couple of kids, so what did she find out when she goes, oh, this bloke's a bit of a hunter, took you home to the family and said, oh, this, this you know, long-haired, loud redneck, he, you know, he, he wants to date me daughter, and, you know, they find out you're a bit of a hunter, so what the missus say? Does she grow yeah. up that sort of thing, or she's like, oh, hell no, and then you, you had to court, no. court her a bit more than, you know, the average girl, you know? No, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one, because I think she was more attracted to, um, oh, back then when I met her, I was sort of more into the snowboarding scene, and I was, um, yeah, doing doing quite a bit of snowboarding there, and that sort of lured her a bit. But um, after yeah, once she locked me down, we started having kids and stuff. And yeah, sort of the injuries stopped me snowboarding for a while. So the next best thing was sort of staying local and going hunting up the bush. So, um, yeah, well, hopefully yeah. A, lot, a lot less injuries and a lot more fitness than uh, you know breaking <laughs> legs. And but what what what'd you break anyway? Snowboarding. What have you broken? Oh, yeah, mainly a lot of shoulders and collarbones. Um, on my back, I broke my pelvis really bad, which led to a lot of back injuries, um, legs, uh, and yeah, wrists, you name it. Jeez, so when's the last time you haven't been snowboarding for a while then? Or the, the missus made you when you had kids, she goes, nah, time to hang up the snowboard. <laughs> I went for, a, um, went for a cruise last year and couldn't help myself and threw a few backflips and a few jumps and rails and things, and then, yeah, couldn't walk for, for about two weeks afterwards. So, yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah, to do no. that again. My mate keeps saying, oh, you know, come and play soccer or a bit of footy or something. I said, yeah, nah, man. Like, one, I'm not that fit. Couldn't possibly run around for that long. And then number two, you know, yeah, I don't want to do a knee or an ACL or, or a shoulder or a pelvis. Or oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm suffering with my, my knee at the moment. Um, I blew my ACL and, yeah, that's sort of hindering me a bit at the moment. Yeah. And speaking of that, but talk about that. Let's, let's just go into that a little bit more in depth because I want to talk about, you know, when you come back from injuries, I mean – you know, is it difficult, I guess, when you're coming back to, to sort of hunting to, you know, try and make those injuries right? Because I guess, you know, we you know we, we hunt mountains and so forth. Generally, it's not always flat, depending on where you hunt, especially around Mansfield, you know, where you're from. So I can imagine, you know, when you're hitting those hills and you've done knees and backs and, and those types of things, it can be can be quite arduous trying to get back into the field when you hit those hills. Yeah. It's, um, well, look, yeah, to be brutally honest, um, the operations were the best thing that's Never happened to me in terms of getting back into the hills. Um, I wish I'd have done it ten years ago. Um, I was sort of one of them types that sort of yeah push through the pain and suffer and um, eat a Voltaire and sandwich for for breakfast and hit the hills. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's um, it's been good since I've had my back operation. That was um, that was unreal because oh yeah, I used to throw a thirty five kilo pack on and go bashing about the hills and. Um, last a day or two and then end up flat on my back in the tent for, for a couple of days and, and uh, sort of hating life. And, um, yeah, since I've, since I've had the operations to fix things, um, yeah, I can, I can finally touch my toes and, and then, yeah, I can, I can sort of walk those a full day up the bush and, and um, not suffer afterwards. So, yeah, it's been great. I'm just going to go on a quick break, guys. We'll be right back. 
Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. And I keep forgetting, guys, use AHP10 for 10% off. I keep saying that. I keep forgetting before the intro to uh, let people know that, guys. So, yeah, use AHP10 for 10% off. Ben, about the injuries, I mean, the interesting part about it is what do you recommend to people? A lot of people are coming back from injuries, whether it's snowboarding, whether it's just, you know, health issues, um, you know, sporting injuries, you know, soccer, football. Or whatever, or you know, even throwing the throwing their daughters or sons around on the weekend, and they do their back or their knees or whatever it may be. What do you think? Don't push too soon. I mean, what's a what, what's your sort of advice on that? People coming back from injuries, especially if you know, maybe some serious injuries too. Yeah, don't go throwing a thirty kilo pack on and, and um, you know, punching fifteen k's into the bush. That's certainly not 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 on. But um, yeah, just start start slow and start easy. I come after my back operation. Um, yeah, I was told to to walk heaps, which I did, so, you know, two to five k's every day, which sort of started slow for a couple of weeks, and then um, graduated up to sort of bike riding on on um, just on the road, and then that sort of went into um, mountain biking, which um, just low impact sort of stuff, which yeah, that that was really helpful, um, and then yeah, just from that um, transitioning into just non weighted bushwalking type arrangements. Um, and yeah, that that really helped me out. A lot of stretching, um, physio stuff, and and then yeah, after a while, especially with my back, I was allowed to um sort of start, well, just with low weights and things like that, carrying around the bush, which um yeah, just built the legs and the muscles up around the around the hips and the back a bit. Um, that helped a lot. Um, but yeah, I guess also is um just yeah, watch watch your, your own weight. Um, I'm one of those ones that enjoys a beer or seven. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's harsh. A lot of people can uh, relate to that, I'm sure, listening to the show. But, uh, yeah, I've really got to yeah, start on that now and start uh, losing a bit of the gut and watch what I eat and that sort of, sort of things, which, um, yeah, I have found that that really helps with um, just, just watching what your own weight is, is a big thing in the hills. Yeah, exactly. What about what types of shooting do you do, man? I mean, obviously you can check out. Actually, first off, before we, we, we do that, tell people like where like where they, where can they can find you on social media. I know you you made a few videos on YouTube. I was checking out as well the other day. So where can they where can they find you? Like, give us the yeah. Well, um, well Instagram, um, which yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone's on these days. Um, amongst the gums, um, that's there, and then also on YouTube. Yeah. I've made a couple of videos and got a couple coming shortly. But again, that's just amongst the gums. Yeah, perfect. Mate, what do you like to hunt anyway? What do you what do you obviously deer, mainly Mansfield, but what else do you get out there? You mainly just you know, go after deer all the time or do you small game or what do you you know, you've obviously got ducks down there, your foxes, I mean yeah, probably, probably some goats, you know, what else you what do you like to what do you like to hunt? Yeah, love love it all. Um I live on yeah about a thousand acres, which for this reason it's a bit of space. But um, we've got <laughs> a bit. Yeah. God, awesome. 
Yeah, yeah, we've got a, we've got uh, foxes and rabbits, which yeah, love getting out, sort of chasing them around. Um, it's great. Uh, just recently, I've um, yeah gone down more so towards Gippsland and in that area, sort of mainly camera hunting, taking the camera out and trying to get a few snaps of red deer and hoggies. Um, that's been a bit of fun. Uh, don't chase the ducks around too much, but I wouldn't mind giving it a go. Open to anything. Um, been over to New Zealand. Um, Went tar hunting there. That was that was grouse. Um, can't wait to get back over there. But, um, yeah, love the deer. Sanders, Sanders, the one that I, I mainly hunt. Which um, yeah, everyone uh, says Samba though. What are they? What do you like about Samba? <laughs> I mean, they are pretty good. I mean, they're big. I, I like the fact that they're big. But I, I think I don't know. I think I'm a bit of a fallow guy. I think, and maybe that's because of probably what I've got more access to. I guess. But yeah, what is it about uh, the old Samba? Oh, I think just their elusiveness, um, you know, and unpredictability. Um, not like like the fellow that have a, a rut season so much where where they're vocal, and um, yeah, you you try and study them and, and where they live up in the high country is just just awesome. So sort of um, the whole package together, hunting samba. Um, yeah, I don't think you can beat it really in Australia. What other deer have you hunted? Red deer. Give us a list of the sort of you hunted all deer species. I mean, you probably got chittle. What else we got? You know, I'm not sure down uh, there, but um, yeah. No, um, well, samba. Um, got heaps of fellow around here, so I've done a heap of fellow hunting. Um, I've done a little bit of hog deer hunting, and just recently sort of tried to chase a few reds around, but um, unsuccessful there. Uh, also, well, went to New Zealand um, for the on the lookout for for reds, but ended up chasing tar around. Um, but yeah, can't wait to, to sort of oh, start heading north and try and chase some chittle or, or rooster and those, those sort of deer up further north. Um, that's sort of on the bucket list for sure. What other states have you had in the other states or any hunts within Australia or been up north anywhere? Or <laughs> well, yes, definitely New um, Northern Territory. Um, hunted quite a lot of things up there, which has been grouse. Um, South Australia, I did, I did a little bit of hunting out there a um, while back, chasing fellow around. Um, that was good fun. But no, I've, I've never been sort of hunting in New South Wales or, or Queensland. So that's high on the priority list. Really? we got some awesome deer up here. But hey, why would you when you got <laughs> you know, deer like you know, a couple of minutes from your doorstep? Why would you, I guess? I mean, it makes, to- makes total sense. Yeah, look, oh, I wouldn't say that um, I've been chasing the deer around that long. So to me... Um, Chasing standards, standards still, well, I seem still pretty new to me, so um, I'm yet to sort of get one of those big 30 inches. So until I do so, it's um, yeah, main priority at the moment. How do you, I mean, it's obviously a lot different comparing, you know, I guess Victoria to the Northern Territory as well. I mean, you know, even probably far North Queensland as well. What's the differences you reckon between the two states? Uh, probably, I don't know, probably a lot more hilly in, in Victoria, I would, I would assume. Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly where I live. Um, yeah, I'm right up in the in the high country there with its big bluffy alpine areas, which um yeah, cop snow throughout winter all the time. So you're sort of um up in that country here, but then you go to Northern Territory where um well, where I was up there, it's big flat open plains and um big swampy areas where there's buffalo, crocodiles, um, yeah, camels, all that sort of stuff and wild dogs up there. So um yeah, complete complete different. What about the? I'm guessing in winter time probably gets pretty cold in Mansfield. I would assume. Yeah, it's um, it's starting to hit now. So we've had a few um, dustings of snow already. So a few frosty mornings and things. So fires are going. 
um, that type of thing, which, yeah, it's sort of noticing the Sambra start to um, strip their velvet at the moment and start to be on the move. So, yeah, good time of the year. Yeah, no, absolutely. What about guns? And I've seen a few of your guns you've been shooting. I did see one of your. Uh, that was pretty awesome, I've got to admit. Uh, you shot one of the foxes, I don't know, about four or 500, something like that, maybe 550, I can't exactly remember. And you <laughs> lobbed it in with the 300, I don't know, I think it was a PRC or WSM, I can't remember exactly, but I'm probably PRC. Yeah, that, that one's the 300 PRC, you know, Christensen Arms uh, Ridgeline, which, yeah, it's the carbon fibre sort of um, get-up. I guess it's, it's all the rage at the moment, which... Um, yeah, that thing's um, that thing's a good rifle, but um, yeah, I've got a few few different ones. That's a, that's the main deer hunting rifle at the moment. But, is that um, light barrel? Is that pretty heavy? Because I think you've got a break on it. You probably got to wear some hearing protection, I guess. Yeah, definitely hearing protection with that one. Um, but yeah, that, look, that that thing scopes just under four kilos. And then I do have another sort of ultralight mountain rifle, which is a Kimber Mountain Ascent. 280 aqua improved and that thing scoped is just over three kilos so in terms of um sort of pack weights and mountain hunting into the back country where, where weight's critical um those two rifles yeah i have no problem carrying them around um and then yeah i've got just a couple of other things like yeah i've had a oh, i've got a ticket 300 wsm just for around the farm and then a couple other smaller ones like yeah uh, 17 more HMR for fox hunting and, and things like that. So, yeah, picking a few there. Are you mainly hunting, you know, like sort of thick country? Is where, where, you, where you're on your farm or even your areas you've got, you know, to hunt? Is it sort of open areas, is it sort of thick style country where you're shooting 100? Because I can imagine, you know, if you, you've got a break on that Christensen, it might be difficult if something, but you know, pops. So that's what I'm afraid of, especially when I hunt state forests here in New South Wales a lot. You know, sometimes a lot of the time you don't realise they're there until they're up on you. And sometimes it's a difference of, you know, taking the shot yeah. quickly, you know, within, yeah, they're 20, the bus is always about 20 or 30 metres away, it always just turns out to be like that. And then, you know, you've got to be able to get hearing protection on. So you've got a lot of open area shooting you know, where you sort of go on a couple of hills and you can look down five, six, eight hundred or whatever, or whatever. What sort of terrain are you hunting? Yeah, well, up, up in the Sam country, um, yeah, get up into a lot of, with that Christensen's arms, I guess that's more for your sort of alpine. Um, country where there's big steep gorges and you, you you are having to shoot across across sort of um, big valleys and things like that where it can be out to 600 metres or more. Um, that's where that rifle really comes in handy. But um, I guess to get to those spots, you've got to bush bash your way through, which um, well, all the all the mains, Samba that I've, the bigger stags that I've shot have all been within sort of you know, under 100 yards sort of thing. So um, walking in, I, I screw the muzzle brake off and, and um, just use it as a stalking rifle, which is which is good. You don't need hearing protection on that one for that. Um, I guess, yeah, I'm more on the fringe country stuff around Mansfield. Um, that can get quite thick, and that's really just sort of stalking country around here, which is where I take the, the little Kimber um, 280. And that's, um, that's perfect for that sort of country. Um, on the farm here, there's a bit of um, scattered sort of bush and tea tree and things like that. A um, bit of open sort of grasslands and things. So, um, yeah, both of those rifles work fine here as well on the farm. What about bullet weights out of some of these rifles? Let's talk about that. Reloading, factory, what are you What are you doing there? No, I'm, I'm reloading for, for both, um, which, yeah, the, the 300, PR, 300 PRC surprised me a little bit just with its factory loads. The factories out of that thing were, were pretty impressive straight out of the box. Um I struggled to, to get my hand loads to shoot better than the factory, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, 
But yeah, the, the 300 PR, 300 PRC, I'm shooting the 230 grain A tips, to be honest, which um, those things are crazy accurate. <laughs> accurate. Yeah, they're not um, cheap, the old A-tips. I'm running a fair few of the ELD matches and yeah. I'm getting good results in some of those as well and a few of the ELDXs as well, but I'm going to... I think I'm going to start yeah. switching over to the ELDMs, I think. I just like the better BC. Maybe I'm a bit of a BC whore, I don't know, but I just think, you know, if it can fly through the air better and, you know, good good sort of projectiles with a good price, well, then, you know, why not? Yeah, well, I switched from the ELDXs to the ELDMs because I lost a few stags with the Xs, to be honest, and um, went to the ELDMs and never, never lost anything since. So, um, yeah, I was running them for a long time. So. It's interesting too. I did a, I did an interview and um, I refer if anyone's listening to this show and you haven't listened to the show, you know I tell my listeners refer back. There was a, a, a show that I did with um, Terminal Ballistics. His name was Nathan Foster, and uh, he does a lot of stuff over in New Zealand. Very good on bullet type stuff and, and construction, and done a lot of testing, especially compared to hunting bullets to to match bullets and the the differences at certain distances. And you know telling people not to worry about what's on the box, worry about how it performs, and gave sort of a bit of a list of what sort of things you know projectiles are good in that match profile. They actually are really good for hunting. Like the old Amax, he said, was just one of the most fantastic, good-priced projectiles that you could buy. But then, you know, no disrespect to the Hornady guys because I love their bullets, but the bastards rebranded them and put a heat-shielded tip on it and called it an ELDM for a lot more expensive. So, <laughs> yeah, you buggers. Um, make them cheaper for us, guys. We'd really appreciate the importers. That'd be nice, but... You know, yeah, it's interesting to see what, you know, certain bullets are doing at certain distances. Then again, I went on a rabbit, a bunch of rabbit trips last year and because uh, that rifle was 260 Remington was the only one I sort of had, you know, sitting pretty where I needed it with the reloads. And mate, I shot them in, in March and they was just like normal shooting, shot them in, I think, like September. And then when I went on a November trip, Dude, I, I, these things were just like, it was crazy. They were just exploding these things, these 143 grand ELDXs. I'm like, what the hell has changed between like this trip and the last trip? I never got this before. And then all of a sudden, these things were just explosive like you wouldn't believe. Maybe it was just luck of probably hitting a few bones or something. But I was like, yeah, after like the seventh or eighth one, I'm thinking, hey, this is pretty cool. But, you know, it's disposing of them humanely. But at the end of the day, wow, like the pretty expansive for on such small game. Yeah, well, I guess I had a similar experience with um, yeah, running different bullets here for a while. Um, yeah, you hear about it all the time up here, and yeah, a lot of a lot of guys running match bullets, whether it's the Burgers or the Hornadies or whatever. So, yeah, they all seem to be pretty successful with them. So, what about and what were you saying about the ELDX? Is what you you were seeing a few what a few runoffs I, were you or something like that? Yeah, I, I shot oh, quite a. More so at close range, I was having trouble with them. Where yeah, I was shooting, shooting Sander right in the shoulder, right on the shoulder blade, and um, yeah, the things would just run off, and you'd track them, track them down for a while, and I'd end up just having this sort of big hole in the side of their their pelt, and um, yeah, it just hadn't gone through or something. It's just like the bullet exploded on impact. It's weird sometimes too because when he was talking about the ELD matches, even the well, ELDXs as well, he said depends on what speed it's actually hitting at as well. He said, you know, if you're using the match bullet, especially the Hornies, they may open up, but they'll open up well at close range and so that longer range. Where he said sometimes the ELDXs, if they're a bit harder, he goes, you need the speed to open them up. But yeah, it's a fine line there, you know, depending on what distance you are and what speed that bullet's doing at the time of, of expansion. So yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. Something yeah. Um yeah, well, I've got a, quite a few mates, and yeah, I mean, the long range hunting with the Samber is is pretty popular at the moment. And um, yeah, I've seen quite a lot of guys that are running the burgers and um, anything under sort of two hundred yards with a with a big fast caliber 
gun, um, yeah, they just don't even bother shooting it, Sam, because it just yeah, just ex- doesn't doesn't drop them. Yeah, weird. yeah, it's so interesting. What about what calibers are you mate shooting? Like, what's your what what's your go to? Obviously, like the PRC and the two eighty. And I think I saw one of the videos you had might have been labelled two eighty. I think actually, just a few days yeah. ago when I watched it. But uh, what what are you seeing? Like, what what's um, the match bullets? Yeah, what was the weight we using the PRC? What two? I think you said two twenty five. Two thirty. Oh, two thirty. Just so what, dropping them on the spot. Yeah, dropping on the spot. No, I think. I went. I, I love the the two eighty, um, and it, you know all the seven mils. That they're, they're pretty um, pretty popular, and they do a great job on Samba. But um, the thing I found with with them was I just wasn't getting the, the blood trail coming out um, out the other side or where the bullet was hitting. So um, yeah, went up to the to the thirty cal. Which back in the early days when I first started, I had a uh, three hundred wind mag, but it was unbraked and I de- developed a bit of a flinch. And um, yeah, just. Just went away from that and stepped back, back down a bit lower, and um, yeah, got used to that, and then went back to the 300 PRC, which is break, so the recalls are manageable for me. Yeah, I got um, a, I got a Wim Mag tuner Bagara, but it's a B14, but it's a running the, the 208 ELD matches. Haven't had a chance to get it out on some. It's a bit of a heavier package, obviously, sort of a mid weight 26 inch barrel, so it's more of a or HMR hunting match rifle is what it stands for. So, but I normally run the haven't shot any deer yet with it this year, but the seven mil one six two ELDX. But I might switch that out again once I do some low development with some other rifles. I might just switch that out to that to that match hunting, also match hunting match bullet as well. And but yeah, definitely a step up from the old one six two in a seven mil to uh, two thirty. Man, that's for sure. Right? <laughs> yeah, which um yeah, I mean as as you just asked, a lot of my mates they're running you know even bigger than that. They got three hundred rums and three through eight laps. And- Things like that, which um, you know, you see a two fifty grain or above hit a sander, yeah, they don't move. Yeah, no. What about what about scopes, man? What do you sort of what do you like to what do you like to run? Are you sort of more on the cheaper side, more on the more expensive side, mid range side. Where are you at with that? Nah, yeah, definitely go for the, the best optics that you can afford. Um, yeah, I run in the Swarovski. I've got the Z eight I on the on the Kimbo, which is um, yeah, I guess top of the range, but the the clarity through that and the, the low light performance on that gun's just amazing. Um, and then on the PRC, I've got a, a Leopold uh, VX5, I think it is. Which um, mm. I mean, that's a bit, that's a fair bit cheaper than the Swarovski, but um, I've been really impressed with with that one. And um, just the low light on it, um, yeah, it sort of almost compares with with my Swarovski, to be honest. So I haven't found any issues with that. But, what um, was the power on the Swaro? What was the power on that? Uh, the Swarovski's two and a half to fifteen by fifty, mm. whereas the three hundred PRC is a four to twenty by fifty. So that one you can stretch it out a little bit more. But in all honesty, the the fifteen power on the Swarovski is more than enough for sort of those longer shots. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you, you haven't got with the VX five. You're not running the three to fifteen. No, it's the next one up. Yeah, it's four to twenty. So oh, yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. On the farm here, I've got. Well, I practice. Practice and practice all the time, sort of shooting those longer shots. And all right, of my mates now you're just making farm. me jealous. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty handy on my lunch break just to shoot on the back and have one shot at a gone yeah. at a distance and just yeah keeps your skills sort of refined. And when those shots do present themselves at um yeah in different conditions, it sort of yeah 
right on the trigger with it. And yeah, it um, makes it a lot easier to take those shots at longer distances. What about any smaller caliber stuff? You know, 22s or a couple of shotguns or some 23s, <laughs> 250s, anything else in that lower sort of cow range? Or you just may get, yeah. get the cannons out, you know? No, no, they've got the 223, which um, that's fox hunting. So run about the, the farm, sort of um, control the foxes because we've got a lot of close neighbors and. They've all got chickens and things like that, so they want me controlling the foxes around the joint. But then, yeah, also um, oh, the rabbits at the moment seem to be making a bit of a comeback. So the 17 mil HMR has been, um, been running hot lately. Um, but, uh, also, yeah, just recently got back on the on the bow, um, sending a few arrows down at rabbits, so it's been fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that'd be fun too. Guys, another quick break and we'll be right back. Over the past year, the National Shooting Council took legal actions to protect shooters' rights over gun shop closures, gun reclassifications, and unfair license cancellations. And we did this across Australia. The National Shooting Council is the only truly national political action group that is taking actions to protect what we do. Help us do more during 2021. Join the National Shooting Council, which is the political organisation that you've been wanting to see there to protect shooters' rights. Ben, what about uh, shotguns, man? Any? I mean, I'm sure you're busting a few rabbits with a shotgun, surely, around there. If you're you know, running yes. around the property or foxes or calling them in or whatever it may be, any any sort of shotgun shooting or you do any, any of that sort of thing or nah, mainly just hunting or... We used to used to have shotguns there, and um, look, to be honest, we only really used them just to go up the back and throw a few ta- um, clay targets around and, and pop them off. So um, when it came to foxes and things like that, and there was always just rifle hunting the, the shotguns. So we just collect, collected dust there for a while, so um, got rid of them. But yeah, if I ever started duck hunting, or yeah, might might end up getting one one day, but not at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, man, the duck hunting is pretty awesome, I've got to say. What about, yeah, just stepping back a little bit, Mansfield, is there like is it people that live there? I mean, is it more sort of private property stuff? Is there like any ranges in the local area, like shotgun or, yeah, rifle ranges or anything? Or how far, if you, if you did have to travel, if someone was just looking at moving there, how far would you have to go? Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of public land here where you can you can scoot up the bush and, uh, yeah, sight your rifle or test your sort of um, your skills up the bush a bit. Um, you just got to be careful here where you are, I guess. Um, and then parks and that like you letting off too many rounds. But um, yeah, a lot of the farmers around here are pretty pretty open to sort of letting you on to do a bit, as long as you're doing the right things and not being a not being a dickhead. Um, mm. They're pretty good. Um, we do get a lot of yeah weekend warriors come up here and you know, poach your joint and yeah make a mess of things with trying to get access onto local properties. But um, being a local, and you sort of get to know everyone and get to know the farmers, so they sort of pretty trustworthy of what you're doing out there as long as you're doing the right thing and, um, you know, not tearing up their paddocks and getting rid of carcasses and doing the right thing. It's pretty easy. Yeah, it seems to be that's that's a, you know, happening a lot these days, isn't it? A lot of, lot of poaching going on. I mean, how bad is it where you are? Like you sort of ever caught anyone or you, you sort of see them spotlighting around? I mean, I just think, man, some of these guys got to have balls driving onto a property with a gun with a spotlight thinking they're not going to get caught. Yeah, it's it's, it's really bad here, to be honest. Um, even one of the more the fallow blocks that I've got, which is in sort of prime fallow area, fierce region, um, that's really bad during the rut. Um, there's signs everywhere on all the fences. Um, it's only one way into the property, and you pull up there in the morning, and there'd be four or five cars lined up. And you sort of ask them, 
what's going on, where you're from, all that sort of stuff. And we've all got a pretty interesting story to tell. And then, yeah, you, you go out to um, sort of fringe country properties where there's a bit of bush that backs onto 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 um, public land, and um, yeah, quite often you'll catch someone out in in private land wandering through. So yeah, it's a bit annoying to be honest, but um, it's slowly getting better. Cheeky bastards, I tell you. Don't poach people. That's the main thing. Ask for at least ask for permission. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, the first point of call. It's even bad. Like up, up the bush, um, you know, I camp out on a, a couple of big predominant sort of ridge lines, and you'd be in your tent there on a pack hunt, and you, you can see in the distance um, on the four drive tracks, lights shining everywhere, and gunshots going off. It's, yeah, it's, um, it's not good. Pretty crazy. Talk about that. What about cold weather gear? What do you need up there? I mean, you just, how do you how do you how do you stay warm up there? I'm heading on a hunt in a couple of weeks right now. It's going to be pretty cold down in the snowy mountains, and I mean, I can imagine you know down where you are, it's probably even colder than where I'm going to be going. So, how do you sort of deal with that? And we'll, we'll get into a bit of pack gear and hunting gear and stuff like that, and how to you know maintain light pack, especially if you you know you need to you're not going to be able to drive to where you're going to be hunting sort of thing. You need to sort of pack it in. But uh, how do you deal with the cold? Yeah, definitely. Um, no matter what, doesn't matter if it's summer or winter up here. Um, if you're up in the high country, there you definitely got to pack a puffer jacket um, at night. So you're up in up in summer, it can get pretty cool. Um, and then yeah, you just really got to make sure your your sleep system. Um, you know the, that's that's down to the right ratings or you know, your sleep systems to the to the right climate that you're going to be out in. Um, you can get pretty pretty cold up there. Like I've, I've slept there in sort of minus five. I think the coldest I've ever been in up, up there was minus seven. So when that hits you, you certainly know about it if you're not, <laughs> not prepared. It's, it's like, why do these deer like this? Like, this is horrible. Why would you want to be in this? Go lower. You know, why stay up high? But I guess it's interesting in, the, in that high country, do they tend to, the deer tend to sort of go down lower as it gets it gets a lot, a lot colder or how does it work? Or they normally head higher? How does it sort of work with the hunting up in the high country? Uh, yeah, this time of year when we sort of get a few sort of little uh, snow showers here and there, uh, they'll still stay high if it's just a little bit of snow. But um, once sort of um, June hits when it yeah, consistently snows, that's when they start heading down and go, go down into the river systems. That's, um, that's sort of how they work there. But um, once once the spring opens back up again, sort of, well, I guess, late August, September, October and things like that, it's the same sort of view. You get a few scattered snow showers here and there, but that's when the grass sort of starts to spring and the clover comes out and that's when they start climbing high again. So you just got to be prepared for sort of, for, you know, the 30-degree day can, can quickly turn into, um, you know, snowing and in the minuses. So just, yeah, make sure you've got the right gear. It's like all the weathers in one day. What's it like in summer, Mansfield, around that area anyway, that high country? Is it mean where you're from? Is it uh, get pretty hot and like really yeah, cold in winter and really hot in summer? No, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, our summers here are you know, 40 degrees some days, which is just dry and hot. So um, we get the best best of both worlds here. Winter's <laughs> snow and freezing and wet and summer's hot and dry. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but... Um, yeah, it can change down here in Victoria. You know, as I said, can be can be thirty degrees one day, and then the next day it's it's snowing. So, mm. Mm. what about any tips? You know, like I've never done anything about you know pack hunting and keeping things light. Like what gear you should be carrying. I mean, any tips and tricks for people that want to sort of 
I mean, I wouldn't, as I said, I normally, the spaces, places that I hunt, I normally either drive to a spot where I know it's going to be good and then I start sort of, you know, making my way through the areas that I find good but never sort of actually ever actually done like a backpack hunt where I've got to carry everything sort of on my back and, you know, camp out in the freezing cold. So any tips and tricks you reckon for like gear that – because, you know, as you, as you start your hunting career – Many years ago, I did that. I bought all this worthless crap that I ended up selling because either A, just wasn't fit for purpose or I listened to someone else or and then I realised what I do and don't like and I'm always changing. So what are your sort of tips and tricks? Any gear you think they could, you know, I don't mind if you do a few shout-outs or anything, but any th- gear that you think will work for people, like to make their lives a bit easier when getting out using backpacks and going on those sort of backpack hunts? Yeah, with with your um, your gear that you take out into the backcountry, you've really got to um – well, if you really want to drop drop your weight, you've got to look into you know, pretty good quality stuff that unfortunately costs quite a bit. But I guess if you're you know, really getting out there in the backcountry, you know, you hear it all the time, grabs really count up. So uh, reducing weight, well, for me, is pretty key, especially with a bad back. Um, yeah, I really look at items that, that um, are either – multi-use items like um for instance my tripod for my camera um seconds as as trekking poles and then also i can use those trekking poles to pitch my tent so um that's sort of one item that that i use one example that i use for for sort of using items for different things um even to the point where i've got insulated glassing mitts that um then second is i put them over my feet at night to keep my feet warm um just things like that that you can you can use um, really helps out. Um, yeah, I, guess I reckon like, there's nothing worse than being cold. You know, so what do you use? I mean, do you have a, a pad on the ground, like insulated pad. What do you sort of use, like sort of tent wise? I mean, you know, what what are you sort of using? Because I go away sometimes, think, holy, I'm freezing my balls off. You know, I've got like a minus fifteen. I think it's half my problem too. I run like a, a double swag just because I like to stretch out and feel good. But I don't think that works properly because. There's too much air and room in it. But, you know, if I'm going to a, a spot where I can get my car, I'm a bit of a, you know, the biggest tip I'll give people, I only found it out last year, Ben Wright, a diesel heater. If you've got a, if you've got a um, camper or even a, a, you can buy them like in a little package, as long as you've got like a secondary battery, mate, I'll plumb it into my tent and just pull it out of the car, fill it with diesel. Don't have to worry about carbon monoxide or anything, but obviously you've got the exhaust outside. Mate, my tent is so warm, dude. It's like, do buy one of these guys trust me just buy one I've, you know i've seen uh, i've seen those things for yeah for when you when you're camping inside the cars but i yeah. think i'll be packing that into the back no. country <laughs> <laughs> guys this is not for backpacking into the into the high country or wherever you're going to go within australia hunting i'm saying if this has got access to your car but yeah so you're getting back to it how do you like what do you sort uh, of have for like uh, pads or you know specific sleeping bags i mean i tend to be a tight ass sometimes in those areas when i probably should be bending more because there's nothing worse than being cold when you know you're trying to get to sleep at night and you're, you're freezing your knackers off so yeah it's a it's a fine line i've found and i've been through for several different sleep sleep systems several different sleeping bags all kinds of gear just to um to get it right which i think um i'd sort of treat my sleep system now a bit like um a bit like my my clothing where you sort of got to layer up and you know um depending on the on what the temp's doing up there um yeah, if I'm if I'm too hot and my sleeping bag's too hot, I'll sweat the whole night and get that gacky feeling in your sleeping bag, and that's just the worst. 
And then if you're too cold, it's um you, you don't sleep, and then all the next day you just got no motivation to do anything. So yeah, it's a, it's a fine line, and you've got to make sure you get a good night's rest when you're out there. So yeah, well, what I'm running now, yeah, I'm always always been a tent person, which um some I fluctuate between a two man and a one man tent depending on sort of where I'm going. But um I've got a yeah really good ground mat, and then which is just one of those blow up sort of arrangements. Um. Which I also carry in a, sort of like one of those padded foam cells, which has got the foil on it. So if it's getting really cold, I'll um I'll sort of slip that underneath my on my pad, and um, that increases the the warmth rating there underneath me. Does that stop short, it from coming through, sort of thing? Like my, a fair bit of it? Does it do? Yeah. It, like does yep. work? Because some people go, oh yeah, it's a gimmick, and I go, I've never used one, so I don't know. But does it definitely works? No, it definitely works. And as I said, I like my sleep system now. I sort of treat it like a, a layering system where um, even my sleeping bag, it's um, oh, I use a quilt now because I can't stand those mummy bags. And um, yeah, I, I can add things to increase the warmth, which, you know, the puffer jacket, which I spoke about before, I can, if it is getting cold, I'll, I'll sleep in my puffer jacket. And then, um, you know, if, it, if it's really, really cold, I'll throw in my. my um, insulated glassing mitts on my feet and increases the warm throating there and then obviously thermal layers there to help out. Um, and then, yeah, the, the ground mat, as I spoke about, I'm carrying a, um, a blow-up mattress, which um, is the compass is quite thick. It's one of the Cedar Summit sort of um, ultralight sort of ones, which doesn't have a huge R rating, and that's just to keep weight down, same as my, my um, quilt. I don't – I could carry around a – the minus five sleeping bag, but they are quite often way over a kilo, which, you know. Oh, so um, you, don't carry, you, don't, you don't carry a sleeping bag? No. No, I'm running a quilt. Wow, so. yeah, nice. I was going to say, I hate, that's why I got the double. I, I, <laughs> I do like the sleeping bags, but again, I'm a bit of a big fella, so I hate, you know, having to get into them and you, yeah, you know, especially if you've got layers on and you try, you can't turn over. I feel like I'm just about to be buried alive, you know, and I, I don't like it. Here we go. Here's a tip. What sort of, what sort of do-no is it like just off the bed one? No, it wouldn't be, because that'd be huge. It'd be obviously have something specific to, you know, you can yeah, carry it in your backpack, yeah? No, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a proper um, sleeping bag, backcountry, Cedar Summit. Uh, it's a Cedar Summit Ethylite 2, which um, at the bottom half is, is like a sleeping bag. So you slip your, your bottom half of your sleeping mat into the sleep bottom half of the, the quilt. Yeah. And um, that stops you, you sliding off your sleeping mat during the night. And then the top half is like, just like a doona. So, um, yeah, it works well. And yeah, it allows me to toss and turn during, throughout the night. And, if it gets too hot, you can just sort of fold it back, or uh, if it gets too cold, I'll throw on my puffer jacket. And, um, yeah, gets a warmth rating right up. I was going to say, what about you know socks too? Socks are important, eh? People discount socks, but mate, nothing worse than having cold, wet feet and good boots. I might add, good boots. Like I bought some cheap ones just for around camp, um, but I'm looking for some new ones actually. Just that, like if I start doing that sort of heavy stuff, that are really you know, built for that, but I've got a few sort of just basic hunt ones. I think there's some ridge lines or something, patches or something. Uh, I've got them at the moment, but uh, before, man, I used to just run around in some like work, you know, steel cap work boots, you know, did an okay job, but you know, the other ones are sort of for the flat style hunting or small hills. Then I want to get some more for that type of, you know, really sort of heavy duty, you know, get to yeah. be there, keep my feet warm, make sure I've got good socks and yeah. What, what are you sort of running for boots? Yeah, different boots are. Oh, I almost put them as the most important part of a of a kit because um, you get sore feet and it ruins the hunt pretty quick. But 
Yeah, I run sort of the, the full grain leather boots that um that are meant for sort of your high country sort of stuff. Not a lot of flexibility in the soles and things like that. But um, yeah, at the moment I've got the lower ranges, which are which are great for for um sort of uh, I use I like them more for sort of the lower land sort of stuff. Still a bit of um, steep stuff, but then I've got some um, crispy crispy Nevadas, which is um. Yeah, they're more sort of for your high country up in the steep terrain where it's rocky and things like that. Not a lot of flex in them, but, um, yeah, they're great for that kind of thing. Um, and then I, for around home, around this area, I've just got some some more, the Solomon, um, which are, yeah, more like a runner, to be honest. They're, they're quite flexy. They're good for bow hunting as well. Um, a lot more flex and a bit softer underfoot. So, True. yeah, boots are pretty, boots are pretty critical up there because, um, yeah, you cover some big Ks, and if you're side healing and your and your feet start moving about and you get blisters, it's um yeah, it's too soon. Want to head back to the car? Yeah, I know. There's nothing worse. They say your fitness, I guess, which I definitely lack of. But uh, fitness and your feet—they're the things that can do you over straight away. And I'm, I've got a mate in New Zealand who's always like, "Man, come over." And I said, "Mate, I got to get my fitness and my feet." and my pack work done before because I'm not used to carrying a pack and you know I carry a small pack and then after like two hours I'm like you know pulling back my shoulders and yeah you've really got to do a lot of that stuff haven't you that lot of sort of pack hunting and the only way to get used to it is to throw a pack on and start doing it that's yeah exactly right and then yeah it's just a lot of trial and error with um, a lot of your gear I do a lot of YouTube researching and watch a lot of videos on, on how to reduce your pack weight um Every year there seems to be something new coming out that's lighter and, and whatnot, so always looking at it. But, um, yeah, you know, I think my first trips when I first went out, my pack um, I had everything, including the kitchen sink, which got up to, yeah, 35 kilos, which um, wow. you don't want to be carrying that around, Sam, buddy. <laughs> so nowadays, Shit, man, like, yeah, yeah nowadays, um, you know, I obviously carry around the, the camera gear and um, one of my lenses is, is a, a huge two and a half kilo sort of thing, which my camera gear, um, all my camera gear weighs about 10 kilos itself. So um, once you put on two litres of water and say five kilos of food for um, for five days, um, gets up there. But at the moment, uh, I just waited the other day because I'm about to head off for, for a pack hunt in the next week, which, um, yeah, my whole kit, Including two liters of water, five days of food, all my camera gear. I'm sitting right on thirty kilos, which that includes my rifle as well. Wow, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, I'm a bit of a camera whore too. Um, I think I, I think I remember I went through back through the messages and I asked you some advice. I think ages ago about cameras, and we're talking about it. I think from what yeah. I saw from my messages. But what what are you running? What are you liking camera stuff? I mean, you do the odd filming as well, and like you love taking photos and and you know obviously a bit of video footage as well. So what's your what's your sort of go to in that arena? Yeah, I um I just seen your latest video actually. I was pretty impressed with um what you've done there. Nice and nice cinematic sort of stuff you got going on. So that was great, mate. Um, but yeah, in terms of what I run, I'm I'm um I've got the the Sony mirrorless system. So I'm running a Sony A7R three, which um I used to have the smaller body Sony, which is a lot lighter. Um, but just uh, the new one I've got more for photos. It's got sort of higher megapixel count for um for the for photography side of things. Um, then yeah, I carry two lenses, so a smaller one which is um a twenty to seventy mil, and then the bigger one's a um a two hundred to six hundred mil zoom lens, which is an absolute horse of a thing to carry around. But <laughs> um, 
the pitcher quality you can get from that's pretty amazing. And um, yeah, when you when you do get a shot or, or a video of, of something, um, you soon forget about the weight of carrying it around. Yeah. What, what what makes you want to do it though? What do you enjoy about it? I mean, the whole photography, videoing. I mean, you know, what sort of what sort of does it for you? Like, you know, you've always spent some money on some you know, quite expensive gear. There, full frame is obviously always a lot more expensive. Um, yeah, like, is it just relive the hunts, sharing? What 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 interests you about you know just photography and video in general? Yeah, I guess it's probably more about the adventure, more so, and captioning capturing more parts of, of what's involved when you're out there. Um, yeah, it's not always about just chasing deer around for me. Um, I just love being out there and it doesn't matter if it's you know, down doing a spot of fishing or whatever in a river system um, or, you know, could be anything, birds or anything. Yeah, just get the camera out and um, it's just another element to, to hunting, I guess, is you're out there and you're, you're walking around, you see some great stuff, so um, why not throw the lens up and and, um, yeah, capture some some good stuff. And um, I guess on the hunting side of things, yeah, documenting hunts is just a good memory. And if you're out there with mates and, and you can um, put something together, it um, just makes it all the more worthwhile. And you said you had something coming up. You were making a few videos or you currently have or you in the process of or editing or what are they <laughs> – yeah. what sort of videos are you going to be making? Yeah, I've been a bit quiet on the YouTube front, to be honest, but um, last year yeah, did it. Did a couple of hunts um, up in the high country and another heli hunt and um, got a got a quite a fair bit of really good footage there. But um, they they just we just didn't get an animal on the ground. But um, yeah, I still we'll stitch them together. It's probably more of a shorter video, but um, yeah, they'll be good. But yeah, coming up, um, we've been, I've been up the high country the oh, last couple of weekends um, doing a bit of scouting about and. Um, yeah, come come across a, a real nice stag, so um, fingers crossed we can turn him over and make a bit of a video of it for, for seven days and um, hope to turn him over and capture the whole thing and put a good edit together. That's the hardest thing. I was, it was hard to get him on camera. Sometimes it's the different. I mean, if you've got a fit, you know, if we could all afford, you know, afford a filming crew, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but, you know, but uh, even sometimes with mates, I just say, oh, can you do this? They look at this camera and they go, dude, there's so many buttons. You know, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, shit, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. always, always seems to be us, doesn't it? Because obviously, you're pretty, obviously, very proficient with the camera as well. And some of your mates, like, or my, my mate grabs, he goes, yeah, I used to have a DSLR. I'll get that photo. And I'm like, dude, it's on auto. And my back's to the sun. Obviously, it's exposed to the sun and my face looks black you know like <laughs> i sort of yeah. thought you knew how to use this bastard of a thing you know and he goes oh i do but it's been a while and i said oh my god but anyway what do you do we can't expect it, him to know everything yeah exactly it is um it is interesting when you take mates out and you, you tell them to point the camera at you and they, they just put it online i order and press the button it's um yeah i mean i guess yeah i've learned now just to um yeah try and do most of it yourself and i guess um any of the cinematic shots and any detail sort of stuff, you, you sort of got the eye for it, whereas um, it's pretty hard to teach your mates things like that. So yeah. any of that sort of stuff you just do yourself. But, um, yeah, when you do need your mate to, to help out, I guess you stick the camera on the tripod and tell them to get the record button. Away yeah. you go. Um, and people yeah, that do I mean, that too, people have asked too, like about the you know full frame. And like I run APS-C, I, I could have went full frame. It wasn't pricing wasn't the issue, but more so for me, the only reason I went APS-C, which you know, people are not sure, you know, full frame's got a bigger sensor, guys. So generally more professional, most likely 
yeah, pretty yeah, a, a bit better quality, maybe some sharpness. Who knows? A lot of different factors going into it as well. But the only reason I use APS-C is because if I'm zooming in, like I'm doing a bit of the bunny busting or I need to get that sort of 70 to 350 lens, you do get that crop factor. So what the crop factor means, guys, is that it zooms in a little bit more, right, because the sensor's small. I don't know why or how, but that's just how it is. So, you know, if you're – like, as Ben just said, you're shooting – what was it, a 200? Was it 200 to 600? So that's actually 200 to 600, where if I have a 70 to 350, that's more of a, a 250 to 600 as well. So very, very similar, you know, so you're getting that extra zoom. So when I – if I need to sort of punch it out there on that, you know, rabbit that's small, then I can easily do that with, you know, a not-so-huge a lens without getting like a bloody, you know – bloody 800 or something like that some crazy big lens or anything like that so people always ask i say it all depends on what you want to do so yeah what sort of filming you, you do want to do really that's what comes down to i think yeah i mean certainly yeah and as you said with um you know i see a lot of guys running the bridge cameras at the moment which um have huge huge zooms on um but they just suffer in terms of the, the picture quality with video um, especially and then also on low light which is when a lot of you know, deer come out whereas um with those you know better quality cameras and things um and the crop factor that you've said um my 600 mil you hit the APS-C which crops in 1.5 times um yeah, you, you can get out there right away and then it also has an optical zoom on that for uh, doubles that so i'm almost getting uh, 1200 mil reach and um yeah it's pretty impressive what it can do on, on low light just wish they had a way to because yeah, when you use the big one obviously you know if we're talking or you need to quickly flick the camera around that the big lenses aren't going to do the job obviously but i'm like i wish they had a way we could just you know switch a lens out without having to do all the bullshit because i remember when i went out i said this on the last show hasn't come out yet but i was doing it. another guy does youtube videos as well last week his name is jason he does a liquid does a bit of hunting in queensland liquid antler his name is on youtube and we're just talking i said when I, I i went first went mirrorless and i had a dslr before so obviously you got the the mirror in you know in, in front of the the sensor on a dslr and i never had any issues with any of that and all of a sudden i went to a dusty area and started like when i came home I'm like, I'm, I was filming them. It was a day moon. It was like a really good shot. I'm thinking, this looks nice. And all of a sudden, I looked at it because it was all blue. I'm like, what's this little speck? I had a speck over here, a speck over here, something that looked like a, a hair or something in a, in a J shape. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, this is obviously there was dust and debris on the sensor. So even though I had one of those little puffy things, you sort of, you know, sort of, you know, when you take the lens off, I puff in there to get any dust out, which is what I do. And the odd once or twice, I didn't do it. And yeah, it really suffered, especially at some of those higher. You know, F-stops like F-16 if it was too bright, if I didn't have my ND filter out or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, this sucks, man. Like, you got to be very careful, guys, when you're out, especially with mirrorless cameras, about getting dust on sensors. Or if you're out in that snowy terrain, make sure you're, you're aiming your camera down at, at best because if you're in a dusty area, you will get dust on the on the sensor. And, yeah, with nighttime, not nighttime so much, I should say, obviously, a daytime, like sky shots or where you have, like, one colour, it, it really shows me. I'm like, holy crap, man, half my shots are ruined here. And I had to – luckily, a few of them I could sort of fix up in post, but yeah, that took a lot of time. So just a tip for people, make sure you <laughs> do it in non-dusty conditions, otherwise you'll have hair. And, <laughs> and I was like, this bloody system. I went to mirrorless thinking this is going to help me. Now it's hindering me a little bit. But I guess, hey, technology, that's the way it's moving. And get on board or I'll be left behind. So, Yeah, I've had that many a times. I've uh, I filmed a whole hunt where a pretty large leaf was sitting on the backside of the lens. 
Oh, no. Yeah, it was the worst. I pretty much had to chuck that out. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's why with the, a lot of the bigger American guys that you, you see, um, they carry two cameras around. So one with a wide-angle lens that gets all the close stuff and then put a big lens on, on a different camera and um, get all that long stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got another question for you. What about bucket list hunts? I mean, first off, sorry, any future plans? Um, you know, hunting, bucket list hunts, Australia, overseas, want to go back to New Zealand? What do you? What would you like to do? I guess let me just a different question, actually. What would you, you know, what do you want to hunt in Australia that you haven't hunted yet? And what's somewhere else in, in the world you'd like to go and what sort of species would you want to hunt? Uh, yeah, so Australia-wise, definitely start heading north, chasing um, yeah, the, the northern deer, which is – I'd really love to get a, a, a chisel and a, and a rooster. That'd be that'd be awesome. Um, and then yeah, I've, I've sort of just started on the on the hog deer down here, but uh, yeah, we have to wait until I get a tag to, to be able to secure one of them. Um, so that's sort of locally what I'm after at the moment. And then yeah, future future plans. I've got um, yeah, a backpack hunting next week for for seven days up up Victorian high country. Wow, yeah, then, cool. Yeah, and then another a heli trip um, just after winter, so sort of around the early September mark um, up into the high country. And then overseas, yeah, I'm really, really itchy to get back over to, to New Zealand and um, yeah, chase a, a chamois or a red stag around over there. Um, I had had a bit of luck on my first trip to New Zealand with some tar, so got a really nice um, tar there that was close to the 13 inches, so that was good. Mm. But, um, yeah, I guess – yeah, bucket list ones for future. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time snowboarding over in Canada and America, sort of Colorado area, where um, did a lot of backcountry snowboarding, and uh, was lucky enough there to um, experience seeing sort of um, elk and, and wolves and bears and things like that. So um, yeah, ever since I oh, can't wait to get back over there and, and um, see if I can have a crack at one of those sort of things over there. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's definitely got some bucket list hunts too. So it sounds like definitely sounds like a lot of fun. What about game meat? You game meat or anything? You're more of a trophy hunter, or you like eating the game too, or family like eating game, or not really? Or no, we we love eating game and um, yeah, um, do it quite a lot. And yeah, look, I mean, trophy hunter like everyone, but um, yeah, I'm quite often go out um, yeah during the week and just get a dough and um, yeah take the meat off it for, for food and fill the freezer up and get a bit for the um, – we've got a lot of um, cattle dogs and things like that, so keep them well fed with um, with food. But, um, yeah, the kids and the missus, they, they enjoy um, venison, so, um, yeah, we get quite a lot of it. Nice. Mate, finish off, I guess, a hunting story. You know, tell us a good story about, you know, maybe one of your best hunts or a personal <laughs> accomplishment, whatever it may be, but – I always tell people when they when they tell me the story, oh, I want to feel like I'm there, man. So summer, winter, um, you know, time of day, just, yeah, I want to feel immersed in the story. And obviously people listening do too. They, they like a good story to finish off. So hit me with a good story, man, maybe a good bark or, a, you know, so anything. You choose your choice, obviously. Uh, no, I guess, I guess it would be when I first, um, yeah, got into sand hunting and, Oh, got really eager. Started watching all the YouTube videos and you know, got really pumped to to get out there and go as far and as deep as possible um, into the backcountry. And um, oh, at the time, I I just blown my knee and done my ACL, so I wasn't real good. And um, yeah, loaded up a pack. 
we went up to um went up to the the, the tops and um camped the night just at um a pretty prolific sort of camp area and um yeah roll out the swag beside the car um got the chainsaw out cut a bit of wood um yeah started to get a fire going started to cook up a bit of a meal this fella sort of come up around from the road and he wanted about campground a bit and um, picked up a few sticks and a bit of um a bit of wood and stuff like that and he sort of he's a bit a bit shyish i guess and um at about the same time, a hiker come out the Australian Walking Trail, and um, he was on his way through the sort of Mount Hotham area, and um, he set up his tent sort of thirty metres away, and um, got set up, and then he, he come over to me and said, "Oh, sorry, mate, I've I've, um, I've ran out of gas. Can I borrow some of your gas?" I said, yeah, <laughs> no worries, and um, got my pack out of the car and sort of put it on the back tailgate of my Ute, and um, my swag was sort of set up just just near the Ute there, and. Um, yeah, the hiker, he borrowed my gas, went off and cooked his meal. He brought the gas back and he said, here you go, mate, no worries. Put it in my pack in one of the side pockets and this other fellow was sort of lurking about. Um, yeah, he was sort of oh, close close enough by, by to hear what we were talking about and things. And I did end up having a bit of a chat to him and, and um, yeah, how you going, g'day, rah, rah, rah. And then he sort of took off back down the road. Anyway, I got off in the morning and the hiker was still there sort of packing up his stuff and I had a bit of a chat to him and said, oh, yeah, good luck. I went out opposite direction to him, walked out oh, 15 k's through these steep as hills, um, all heaps of gear on my back, <laughs> hung knee, and, um, yeah, got out to this, this hill and my water pack had, had burst in my backpack and wetted out all my sleeping bag, oh, everything was satched. No, yeah. Sun was going down and I, I get out there and um yeah, go to light a fire, nothing nothing would, would light. It was all pretty wet from sort of a storm that had rolled through the day before. So I was freezing and then it, it, it um I went to get my gas out of my pack and my gas I didn't have my gas box. I was like, oh, whatever there, where'd they go? I put them in my pack last night. And um yeah, it wasn't until sort of afterwards that I thought about it, and, and, and there's a few stories getting around at the moment about this Button Man up in the high country. There's been a few encounters with, with him, sort of um, doing a few sort <laughs> well, of. He stole them. He stole them. Yeah, I, I think he did. Yeah, there's a few stories about him, sort of. Um, yeah, oh, rolling into people's camps and pinching a bit of food and gear here and there, and um, yeah, there's been some some odd stories about old Button Man. Um, <laughs> Button man. I don't know how he got the name Button Man, I mean. Yeah, well, apparently he's, he's – yeah, there's a few different stories, but he he, um, <laughs> he gets up there and um, camps up in this campground. He's a bit of a recluse and um, he he collects deer antlers and turns them into buttons. All right. Wow. <laughs> That's why they call him Button Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bit of an odd character, but yeah. <laughs> So you go and you were saying so you're at camp, you're at camp, you were cold and you had no, yeah, no was, nothing warm. Yeah, right. yep. Well, yeah, it was it was freezing during the night and I had one of those hammock sort of tents at the time and um thought, Oh, I'll be all right, I've I've got a really good sleeping bag here and I'll jump in and get warm and um yeah, didn't didn't um expect for it all to be wet and um yeah, jumped into it and um yeah, it turned, got to about minus five that night, so Oh was, shit! Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. It was a pretty uh, pretty big eye opener for just how prepared you got to be for up up in the back country if things do turn turn bad. Because um, yeah, I, I knew I got hypothermia that night. 
Yeah, people don't realise, hey, how, you know, you've got to really take care of yourself in these situations. I mean, you know, I always tell people, make sure you carry some sort of, um, you know, steak bandages, e-perbs and that sort of stuff and beacons because if you, if you get caught somewhere, you need to be able to get out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely got to carry an e-perb or satellite communicator. That's, that's, that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, gone. No, you, you're right, you're fine. So you were cold. So is there, are we get into the. Is there a deer you're shooting or no? The story? <laughs> oh, no, well, yeah, well, I was out there looking for Samba and then. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't sure. I was like a cold weekend. I was like, is there a deer? Is nah, there? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I was out, out pack hunting, but um, yeah, they're looking for deer and yeah, but I was. I knew it was going to get cold and I knew there was a frost coming in the morning, which hence it turned sort of down into the minuses. And um, yeah, all my wet wet gear and everything just froze over. And um, I, I sat there all night, wide awake, just shivering cold. And then uh, still eager as in the morning, um, yeah, collected my, my thoughts together and um, kept sort of going on with the, the planned intention to hunt and things like that and kept walking um, sort of oh, pretty much all day um, looking for water because my, my pack had, my water bladder had burst in my pack. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, would have spent a oh, good sort of oh, almost the whole day without water. So I was yeah, froze all night, <laughs> almost got hypothermia, and then spent the whole day the next day sort of without any water. And, uh, yeah, started to get a bit worried about how things were turning out, and so I was all away from, from the car. So, um, yeah, started making my way back. And, yeah, at that point, um, oh, I was getting pretty desperate for water. So, uh, yeah, started drinking out of a, a, a wallow and sort of, Took a few sips out of it. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Looked up and there was a wild dog turd not far off the edge of it. And, said, oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, this isn't going to be good. And sure enough, a couple of, well, the next day I was pretty cooking the guts. So that was a um, pretty big opener to, yeah, backcountry hunting and, and um, what can happen pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. People don't realise, you know, that sometimes a story like, sorry, I was expecting you like the, the deer or something. But anyway, that's it's, it's good because this actually brings the story to people that, you know, again, hunt, hunts aren't always successful, guys. Sometimes they don't go as as planned and, and things can be an eye-opener. It's good because, you know, sometimes hearing these stories, you know, it just shows people sometimes you've got to be careful in these situations, make sure you've got enough water. But, yeah, sometimes things just don't go to plan. You know, it's happened to a lot of us, probably not that bad where I've got, <laughs> I've got a drink out of a wallow, but geez, you were keen, I tell you, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't good, I tell you. <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm glad uh, you did. I'm glad you did. We could, I shouldn't laugh at your just misfortune, but um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good because a lot of people come on, they just tell me a story, they shot the big stag, but it's good to hear a story where sometimes, yeah, things don't go as as we play. And you, and you kind of took me by surprise because I'm like, you, you tell a story that I didn't want to interrupt you, and then we're coming back again. I thought, is this where he goes on the next day where he, he, he you know, he, drank out of the wallow then all of a sudden bang there was a big massive samba sitting in front of him and he, he shot it and all the the hunt was just went off without a hitch and it was fantastic and you're excited and that's when all the hard work started but that didn't happen it was just a really mm-hmm. bad experience for you <laughs> yeah no, no, it was just just uh yeah no deer seen on that trip and um yeah i mean quite often yeah you never really hear about the, the ones where you don't see any deer but it happens yeah. quite a lot chasing timber so yeah exactly. uh, and that's it i guess yeah saying that um if you're, if you're just starting out just my advice is just to start small and you know, don't wander too far from the car for the first couple of trips and um, something does yeah turn turn to shit then um yeah at least you're not too far from the car and you can make it back without um yeah you hear a lot of people go missing and things so 
Exactly. It's going to be safe out there. Yeah, be prepared, guys. Good story there. See, it's not always about, you know, the positive. Sometimes, yeah, there's hunting. Sometimes stuff goes to shit. You've got to be prepared or, you know, you, you, you go through all that stuff over a weekend, four or five days, you know, freezing your bloody nutsack off. And, and yeah, sometimes you just don't get anything. It was like my last trip. Sometimes you just don't get anything. And, you know, I did the yards. I you know, did the, you know, the legwork and thought I had some really good spots. I'd been there before. And, you know, I'm seeing him on the road going into the forest. But, yeah, just could not could not make it happen. So, but, and yeah, it does happen. Just be prepared, guys. Have all your safety measures. Tell people where you're going. Make sure you've got all that squared away because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to come unstuck, that's for sure. Hey, Ben. That's right, yeah. It's, uh, it'd be pretty scary when um, things do turn bad. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that show. Again, Ben, if they want to find you on YouTube and Instagram, what's the name there? How do they find you? What do they type in? Yeah, Amongst the Gums. That's me. Perfect. There you go. All right. Ben, how do, how do I say your last name anyway? Is it Willick? Is that how I say it? Correct. 100%. Perfect. Okay, it's exactly how it's spelled. Sometimes I wasn't sure if there's maybe like a silent N or something. But anyway, Ben Willick joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Talk about you know, a bit of hunting in Victoria, stories, guns, hunting, you name it. Ben, thanks for coming to the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and I look forward to seeing some of your uh, new video edits coming out soon. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.